Live from the rooftop of the Herman London Real Estate Group in beautiful downtown Maplewood, it's the St. Louis Realtor Podcast with your host, Adam Cruz. Welcome, welcome to this week's Herman London Real Estate Group St. Louis Realtor Podcast. This is episode 14 and we are recording live from the Herman London Studios in beautiful downtown Maplewood, Missouri. I am excited about today's guest, a little nervous to be honest, a little intimidated I guess I would say, but we have Alex Enan on the program today. He is the owner and I'm supposing main author of nextstl.com, N-E-X-T-S-T-L.com. Dot com and Alex is sitting here in our studios with us. So Alex, will you do me a favor and introduce yourself? Tell us a little something. Uh, yeah, thanks for having me. For people in St. Louis, is that is that mainly your audience? It's well, around the world. It's global. It's around the world. It's, it's global. I mean, every realtor yeah. in the world listens and all <laughs> investors. So for uh, for Missourians, I'm a Hoosier and not that kind of Hoosier. I'm an actual Hoosier. So um, so lay off. You know, that's like it's it's overwhelming. I've been here a decade and. Uh, and I'm not over it. You already Stop saw it. on my questions that I was going to say you went to Indiana, but you, what, did, could you not get into Mizzou or what happened? <laughs> this is the. You're I know. Not I have, I have a journalism degree too. I hear does does Mizzou have a journalism? School? Yes, they do. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> I was just afraid to go far from home. You know what? I actually looked at Rolla. I was going to go be an engineer because my okay. dad's an engineer. I was an engineer for one year, and then I wisened up. But uh, but not at Rolla. Okay, I'll tell you. They can drink some beer down at Rolla. That's for sure. Yeah, what else is there? There's nothing else to do, I guess. Okay. What can you tell us about yourself? Uh, What can I tell you? Um, uh, I didn't go to high school here. I grew up in northern Indiana, followed my girlfriend, now wife, here about 11 years ago. Okay. Um, She came here to do a PhD at Washington University. Uh, Let's see. Two houses, three children, and several degrees later, we're still here. So. Okay. Yeah, I I got bored, so I wanted to start writing about development and kind of get engaged in the community. So I started the website. Another iteration of it, maybe five or six years ago, and um, wrote every day for about three years, and then it's kind of evolved from there. And so, is this your full time job? No, I, I lose money doing this. So this okay. is my hobby. This is my my addiction, obsession, whatever it is. So I, I've been in fundraising for a while, and I'm starting something new, maybe as early as next week. So you have to you know check LinkedIn or something. We should have had you on next week so you could announce it. Maybe I, it could have been big. Do you fundraise for charities or do you fundraise for... Um, well, I've worked at, I worked for Indiana University. I worked for the University of Missouri-St. Louis. I've worked okay. for Washington University and then also the Contemporary Art Museum in town. So um, okay. here and there. So you, yeah. I guess you're making phone calls, you're networking. It's, it's Yeah, probably... for, like for Washington University, I was traveling. No, I, I covered New England, Florida, and Ohio and met with alumni and did events and things like that. And then the, the Art Museum was much more local interest. But yeah, doing individual face-to-face fundraising. I hope you have a kind of an easy time doing that because it like if you called me I would have been like oh uh let me stop what I'm doing and take this call because honestly I've I think I've been to a few things where you were a panelist I'm kind of friends with Frank DeGraff from Count on Downtown and so but she's not doing that anymore anyway so you're yeah, the man count, now Count right? on Downtown Raleigh I guess right Yeah exactly. Frank is listening to this he's he's in North Carolina now so I think Good Frank does listen I hope you never yeah. know I'm not sure <laughs> So you got into this just as a just as kind of a hobby. Yeah, I mean the main thing was I lived in Forest Park Southeast at the time I started this and and I went to a neighborhood meeting about a um, a Drury Hotel proposal which is still kind of a live idea that that may eventually happen. Uh but this is gosh uh 6 5 6 years ago and there were 200 people at a community meeting and I kind of was you know kind of jazzed up about it thinking like here's this big proposal in my neighborhood it's kind of exciting it's a couple blocks away. Some people hated it. Some people loved it. And it was right. just kind of an energizing experience. 
And I went home and thought, I can't wait to read about this in the news tomorrow. <laughs> like, yeah. of course no one covers stuff like that, you know? Uh-huh. Um, local media doesn't cover events like that, and certainly not the early discussions about development like that. Talked to neighbors about it, and they kind of were like, oh, where do, I, where do I find out more? I'm like, oh, there's, there is no place. And, you know, that was about the time where you could finally, you know, hit a couple buttons, and voila, you had a website. Right. Um, so you start a, you know, you go to Google, and you get a Blogspot website, and, and off you go. So, so that's what I did. Looking through your website, it's always interesting. You you seem to be the first to know. Maybe maybe I'm the last to know, but you seem to be the first to know about a lot of these projects. Do you go to every neighborhood meeting across town? I mean, yeah. you, you know about all the stuff. Right? No, it's it's you know it's a, in a sense it's evolved to the point where I get a lot of information sent to me. I mean, people aren't out looking for me, but they're at a neighborhood meeting like I was five years ago, and they say you know, a developer just came and told us what was happening with this warehouse. You know, what do you know about it? Or here's what they told me. What more can you find out? And, you know, information is generally available. And to be honest, I write about, I don't do a lot of of deep digging. There's not a lot of, you know, phone calls and meetings and things like that. It's, it's, you know, a lot of the stuff is available publicly. So, you know, we have so many municipalities in St. Louis region. So, you know, I check the Clayton city website regularly. I, you know, look for the preservation board agenda the day it's out for the city. So a lot of this stuff is public. It's just not something that people, you know, not, you're not going to pay attention to all this stuff. You're not going to bookmark 17 websites and see what Richmond Heights and Maplewood and Clayton and all these people are up to every week. Right. Right. Um, so I do that. I have other people who kind of are checking other, you know, building permits and things like that as they come through. So, so it's generally public stuff, but then I get other people who've, you know, they enjoy the site and they're asking questions so I, I can get a lead. So it's kind of like the information's out there. You just sort of have to know how to find it. A lot of it. Yeah. And you said you were going to be an engineer, but obviously you're sort of a technical analytical type guy. And I noticed that because when I'm reading through your articles, it's not just, you know, there might close down some streets on Gravoy. I don't like that. You know, you've got graphs, we've got pictures, we've got charts, right? There's, yeah. You get in-depth with some things, and I'm sure people yeah. appreciate that. Well, it's one of the things that just tells the story. It's easy to write and write. And like I said, when I, when I was doing something every day, a lot of times it was a YouTube video about a roundabout in 75 words, right? And I've uh-huh. kind of evolved, and I, I have to stop from writing more because I get into some of these things, and I can write 3,000 words about street closures, and no one's going to read that, you know? Um, but if you can show those pictures, it really tells the story. And that's the frustrating thing locally in, in media is that, um, you know, everything from our biggest paper to the, some other website can say, hey, there's an apartment complex coming to Clayton. They don't even put a picture with it, you know? Right. Or they put a one really bad, small, old picture with it or something. And it's just kind of just like... Just whatever they can find online. Yeah, you're not, really, you're not really telling anyone the story, and you're not really giving anyone information. So so you have to, I don't know. It's I, I view it as pretty basic, but it's not always done. So, um, so, yeah, the more you can illustrate what's happening, the more people are going to understand it. Okay, so I've noticed you have information on there, like basically a picture of a boarded-up house, and you're like, this boarded-up house is going to be rehabbed, mm-hmm. right? And then there's information like the whole really in-depth article about the streets closing on Gravoy. What is your sort of criteria for the website, or how do you choose what makes the cut? Because if yeah. you, you can't write about every house that's going to be rehabbed, right? Right. No, a lot of things are, um, I mean, the, the rehab houses and some of the, those are basically permit based, you know, a permit comes into the city and is, is issued to rehab a house and that's uh-huh. how we find out about it. Uh-huh. So that's just kind of a blurb that we like to, to throw out there just so people taking one step back. I think I look at it as we're trying to create a larger narrative about what's happening in the city and the region. Okay. So there are the little house rehabs, but then there are the big transportation issues and there are, you know, sports stadium issues. There's all kinds of things, right? So it's a little bit like a, we don't exclude much of anything. The challenge uh-huh. is getting people to write. So I write, less than I did before, maybe twice a week, maybe three times if a lot's happening. 
Um, and there are a couple other contributors who write every week, maybe. I was going to um, say, but if someone we? emails me and says, "Hey, I've got this story here. I wrote it." It's probably going to get published, you know. Okay. So. And you sort of proofread it, and make sure it's up to your quality mm-hmm. standards, I suppose. So yeah, now you've built a are. team of team of writers, I guess, that are just writing. They're passionate about things like you are. Yeah, and I think it's it's hard. Um, you know, I went through journalism school and and have you know now I've been writing, especially for the website, a lot. And uh, uh, it's hard to get people to write. So I've probably had. 80 meetings with people who say they want to write, they have this great yeah. idea. And then they kind of stumble around a story for about a month and a half and never get it finished, which it's easy, easy to lose track of just how difficult it is to write and edit and things like that. So yeah. So I try to tell people like it's, it's an open submission process in a way. I mean, people send me stuff all the time. Uh-huh. Uh, some of it, I spend a lot of time editing. Some of it, I don't edit much at all. I just proofread from my point of view, from the back end, it's a bit of a kind of a hodgepodge and not, you know, we don't have like, hey, Tuesday we're going to write about historic preservation. Wednesday we're writing about transportation. There's a there's a ton out there. I mean, the reality is there's so much information out there, and there's so many projects happening that there's no shortage of things to write about. I mean, there's I wish I could write twice as much. I mean, there's a lot of lot happening in St. Louis. And you have analytics on your site. Do you what is what would you say the most popular section of the site is, or kind of the most yeah. what gets the most traffic? What's like the best article that yeah. you've ever had? You know, well we don't I and mean, we don't do much to pursue things like that but the things you see is like like i can write about you know a 200 million dollar tax proposal and it kind of gets a lot of yawns you know or, or the hospital system you know the barnes jewish hospital in the central west end is spending a billion dollars on buildings in 10 years and it's kind of like yeah that's what they do you know yeah and then you write about a bar closing um mention the word ikea um talk about the cardinals anything like that i mean it's you know it's pretty predictable in st louis and then everybody goes nuts and you know it's the same as across social media those are the things that people share with their friends that a bar is closing or that Ikea is opening or something like that. So that's what you see. You see things take off at that point. I guess those are the things that are sort of easier for people to chew on. Right. And when they're reading your website, they don't necessarily want to get up in arms about the billion dollars being spent on something, but they can get up in arms and start a Facebook group about the village bar closing. They can. Yeah. Right. Poor village bar. Yeah, I, w- I was going to ask you about that, and I'm going to talk about that with you in a little mm-hmm. bit, if you don't mind. Uh, sure. There's not necessarily a most popular area of your website, basically. No, it's but it's those, it's kind of those stories that people have memories of going to a place. It's something that they're personally passionate about. And so, you know, if it was just a, if I could kind of rearrange the site and spend all the time I wanted on one area, it would be more policy based. It would be more, you know, trying to give background to why people should care, you know, how wide their sidewalks are, why people should care if a street is open or closed. I mean, that's the stuff I'm passionate uh-huh. about and I want people to know more about. That's not the most popular stuff on the side at all. So it's a balancing act. Okay. And I guess that's probably a little frustrating where you, the stuff that you're really passionate about, mm-hmm. you want to make change. You want to use your website as sort of a platform to get this information out there, but you have to be able to get people to take action from the site or care or write a local Yeah, I think, I mean, I have to, I have to be realistic just about, how much time to spend in the expectations of results, you know? So I've done some of these panels and people have said, you know, tell me about three stories that changed a project or, or made a big difference. And I, I always kind of struggle with that a little bit because I think it's more about creating a community that's aware of these things so that, you know, when a neighborhood hears about a change to their street, people are a little bit more aware of options and at least understand they can get engaged or someone else learns like, Hey, I can, you know, I can look at the Clayton City website and find proposals, you know, three months ahead of the first meeting. You know, uh-huh. I mean, that's what I love to see happen. And okay. so, uh, so I don't know. I mean, I, I, I totally bail out at that point, <laughs> kind of take a step back and realize I write about this stuff. I hope people 
sometimes there's something specific that people can take action with, but it takes a community to kind of take an issue and run with it. So it's, um, I don't try to do it myself and I don't, I don't try to get out there and say, Hey, follow me. We're going to achieve a, B and C. So, but I guess you're bringing awareness and you're giving people an opportunity to know about something and, and sort of educating them that they can find more information out. And well, I always say that, I mean, to be, completely honest this is a pretty selfish endeavor i mean i started writing about this stuff because i wanted to read more about it and i wanted to learn more so uh-huh. uh so there's that too i mean i do it because i like doing it and you know if 200 people read the website a day that'd be awesome and if 2,000 people read it a day that's that's cool too so it's like a fun hobby for you too yeah i suppose yeah oh, i enjoy it so i have a couple projects i want to ask you about um just from looking through your website and from discussions mm-hmm. i've had with some other people and i'm interested it sounds like you know you're the guy to ask about this type of thing, but what are they thinking about doing to the Crestwood Mall? So the mall itself will go away. So okay, just taking it down, and uh, and the the proposal that the city of Crestwood released today is is basically a strip mall and some restaurants, and uh, and then about 250, forget the exact number, of apartments, uh, kind of on the east end of the site, and then the rest of it's kind of a they call it open space, but it's basically water retention, rain garden a small community garden place. So because the mall basically failed, I guess. Yeah. And here's what's, this is what's amazing that we've been writing about on the site. And this is what we, this is a great example of looking at Crestwood of what we want to bring awareness to is that, you know, we write about Crestwood and there's always one or two or however many people who jump up and like, Hey, like, why are you trashing Crestwood? It's a great place to live. Like the schools are highly rated and, blah, uh-huh. you know, and we're like, well, yeah, but you know, every community, um, like no community is static, right? So right. you're either growing or declining all the time and you have to be aware of kind of these future threats. So Crestwood Mall obviously produced a lot of tax revenue for Crestwood for a very long time and it's producing almost zero right now. Right. And what's shocking about the mall is, is seeing this larger trend nationally away from these shopping centers and especially ones that are not on major um, interstate traffic routes is that that mall less than 10 years ago was assessed or at, you know, 25, 30 million dollars. It sold for 3.6 million. Wow. You know, it's a huge site, a million square foot mall sold for three and a half million dollars. Right. I mean, there are, there are homes, you know, not too far from where we're sitting right now that sell for three and a half million dollars. Yeah. Not um, too far from there either. The, and then, and we don't know things, things might be kind of flipping on their head in St. Louis where, you know, the Ikea site that's going into a location that no one would have believed two years ago mm-hmm. um, is on about 20 acres that sold for, I think about a million dollars an acre. So you take this urban kind of site where people laughed at the idea of like, Oh, there's a Salvation Army across the street. There's a Goodwill next door. Nobody wants this sold for exponentially more than Crestwood mall site. So, so you start looking at these values and these trends. And um, the point is that there are challenges facing all St. Louis communities and to act like there aren't, or to act like, you know, we're Crestwood and these aren't our problems or we're fine or it's been great to live here for 20 years. So the next 20 years are going to be just as good um, is a little bit silly. So the Crestwood Mall story in itself is kind of interesting, but your guess you're saying that it's points out what's happening in the bigger picture. And, right. Okay. Well, St. Louis has had, what, seven or eight malls, indoor malls, completely decline and fail. You know, when you go back... You don't have to go back that long. I mean, I was born in 77. Like, you know, I would have been cruising the mall in the mid-80s and late 80s. Uh-huh. And those were, that was like downtown Crestwood, if there is one, right? It was right. it was the mall. And it was packed. Mm-hmm. And you, you go forward 20 years and it's closed. I mean, that should shock people. You know, that should be really open some eyes. But I guess, so the story isn't, oh, they're going to tear down this abandoned building and put some retail and some apartments in there. 
what I mean, what is, what do you think the bigger story? Uh, I think is? the bigger story is what kind of development pattern is viable long term. So okay. that mall started in the 40s or 50s. I mean, it was an early mall. It was enclosed in the mid 80s, uh-huh. um, and then failed 20 years later. So what should Crestwood be doing so that 20 years from now they don't have a 100-acre site that's abandoned again, that generates no tax revenue or generates very little for the size of the site? What you know, should they be doing? I think they should. It should be more dense. I think. You know, I think there should be more apartments. I think it should be, there is no downtown Crestwood and it could be, it could be a walkable area. It could be, um, maybe like the North side of Kirkwood, you know, the uh-huh. North part of downtown Kirkwood. Right. And that doesn't mean there's no parking or anything. It just means that this could be, um, this could generate more revenue for the city of Crestwood and, and Crestwood, you know, without retail revenue is facing some, some challenges, you know, you're not going to survive just on, you know, property taxes and things forever. So I'm sure this goes deeper and deeper and deeper, you know, but like, so who do you think the decisions, who, who made this decision? Is there kind of a local mayor or who made this decision? Yeah, no, it's, it's a, them it's a balancing plan? act. I mean, it's, and so maybe this is the best they could do right now. Right. So, cause a vacant site does them no good at all. And right. so, and they're adding residential and, and some what are supposedly like luxury apartments. And that's probably a great option for Crestwood where there isn't maybe a place to live for people who are looking for that type right. of um, home. And so, um, but you know, I mean, the mayor and the city council have to deal with the residents of Crestwood and they don't, you know, they don't necessarily want apartment towers or I don't know, some of these, some of these developments, you know, so they're a little bit like, I mean, if you divide it up and built single family homes, they'd probably be happy, but they want places to shop. They probably want a grocery store and things like that. So right. it's always a balancing act. So, and this is, I think is part of what people miss on the website is in many ways we're, we try to be very cognizant of reality, whether that's political reality or economic reality, and then try to like you know, ignore it. <laughs> I mean, like, like we understand the limitations, but we also seek to be very aspirational. And so whether it's closing streets or rebuilding a mall site, part of the issue is like trying to explain what's possible and what, what really are the options instead of sitting back and being like, Oh, well, the city council told us like, this is kind of the best we can do. So who am I to say, well, we're all residents of the region. I think we all should be informed and kind of weigh in more often than we do. I guess that who am I to say is sort of the lethargic or whatever attitude that mm-hmm. is probably really frustrating to you when you write these articles about these big things happening and people just can't quite get behind it because they're sort of like, who am I to right. deal with that, right? right? Okay, well, you mentioned Ikea. I mean, were you, you obviously, everyone was surprised maybe with that location, but what do you think Ikea has, it's, it's funny because it's just a business, right? Sure. It's just a business who has it's just a big warehouse store, basically. But it's done so much for that area, right? It, do you think it's yeah. increased property values? What do you think it's done? Yeah, I think it's done a lot. And in fact, at the time uh, that was announced, there were other developments, you know, retail on the east side of Andover and some other places. And in a sense, that is stalled because because they're trying to maximize the the price they get. You know, so I think retailers that they were looking at initially were maybe lower end or lower rent retailers. Right. And now uh-huh. that IKEA is the buildings up, they're basically able to go back and say, Oh, you know, we told you the rent would be X. We just added $10 a square foot to it. Right. You know? So I think that's going to take some time to shake out, but yeah, that's going to, I think what people don't realize, especially in that central corridor is that it's only, I mean, you got to imagine it's a 10th developed, you know I mean? People, I lived in forest park Southeast in 2006 and people at that time kind of thought like, Oh, it's, it's better than it used to be. And it's kind of done. And, yeah, there were some vacant buildings, but it was like not even getting started yet, you know. Uh-huh. Uh, and there's not going to be a lot of demolition in that area, but the amount of vacant land, the amount of empty buildings is is massive. Uh, and what the hospital has planned, what Washington University has planned for Cortex, I mean, you know, they're adding fifteen thousand more jobs, you know, two thousand, three thousand more apartments. I mean, that's a it's a massive change. 
Can you just sort of tell me a little bit about that? I hear a lot about Cortex. Yeah. Uh, you know, I saw pictures of my friends down at the openings and all that kind of stuff. But yeah. what is the deal with all that? I mean, it's a, it's a collaboration between lots of entities, from the Botanical Garden to the University of Missouri, St. Louis, to St. Louis University. But it's basically uh, 120 acres of of space that was light industrial and warehouse space, right? Kind of at the nexus between Midtown, which is St. Louis University, the Washington University Medical Campus, uh, Botanical Garden isn't far uh-huh. away. They do a lot of plant research science. So these groups basically got together in the city passed an ordinance declaring this a redevelopment area. And so for those institutions, what that means is there's no demolition review. There's um, there's a, a large pool of tax increment financing, so that allows them to recoup any of the sales taxes or, um, or other taxes generated by their development so they can redo sidewalks and redo lights. So it basically became, you know, 100 acres of, of whatever they wanted to do with it. And they were able to turn that and bring in, you know, technology jobs, lure the Cambridge Innovation Center there, which is basically a hub for entrepreneurial um, groups and startups. So it's become kind of a, I don't know, the center of, of technology job growth in the region. So so they said, here's 100 acres, do whatever you want to do with it, and basically we'll help you pay for it. Pretty much, yeah. That's a, that's a it, But is this a good example it. of, like, hey, that was a good thing that it happened versus sometimes where you're probably mm-hmm. like, I wish they wouldn't have. Yeah, no, I think, I mean, it's not 100% positive. There's some, certainly some things that would change about how they're developing, but um, but it's a great thing for St. Louis. So, um, And it's already become a model for what other places are trying to do. And for better or worse, St. Louis is at a point where you can get these things. I mean, think about, you know, Johns Hopkins, you know, medical school or, or um, Carnegie Mellon or Cornell. or the, These places are in geographic locations or Harvard. <laughs> you don't find 100 acres in Boston, right? right. So we have this incredible opportunity to grow and um and so we're at a point where it's kind of like our past decline is now an opportunity and hopefully we take advantage of it and because we can't we don't have a chance to redo it there isn't a second hundred acres that we can redevelop is there another area of our town that you think is kind of uh, ready to go for something like that or a good opportunity for something like that so i mean the the near north side is clearly an opportunity area but it's um you know north of starting about the pruitt site the paul mckee Uh north side regeneration stuff but um where is where is he with that side note? Well, he's currently not paying his taxes on anything he owns and is being sued by a bank and nothing's happening. Okay, I saw yeah. a presentation from him about a year ago or so when the new library downtown opened up yep. and he had lots of big plans. Sound like he was doing yeah. a lot of good things, but not. So, yeah, I mean we're happening. going on a decade of it, and he owns he owns a thousand pieces of land. The city sold him another thousand pieces. Um, he has redevelopment rights for fifteen hundred acres, and he's done virtually nothing with it over a decade. And and you're looking at from a real estate point of view, he had the excuse of the economic downturn and maybe the reality of it for several years, but we're in a, a real boom period in St. Louis now. I mean, you have cranes dotting the skyline everywhere and he can't get a, a dollar general built, you know? So does he, is he kind of, is it sort of like he wants to do it all or nothing? Is he sort of waiting till well, he can do the whole plan? What he said from the very beginning is he, he's in the business of luring jobs to a location. So uh-huh. his entire premise was if he could get, um, like he did in Winghaven, if he could get MasterCard or somebody to relocate 4,000 jobs to his development, then he would spin off everything. I mean, he's not a builder. Right. So if he could lure jobs, get a big office building built or, or a corporate campus, then he could sell lots to a developer who then would build houses and other things. Um, so uh, he's always said he's in the in the business of luring jobs, and it just it hasn't happened at all. It's kind of so. like a chicken or an egg thing, right? Because someone yeah. doesn't want to put their big company in an, in an area where their employees don't want to go. I mean, the amazing thing is that most of what Paul McKee owns is not, um, 
I don't find the right words for it, but it's not dangerous. It's almost, it's empty. Uh-huh. It's not where the violence in the city is. It's right. not where it's scary. Well, it's scary to walk because it's empty. Like there's nothing there. Right. Um, I mean, you have seven vacant lots between two occupied houses or something, you know, and very few businesses. Um, so the potential's there, you know, and it started off, even skeptics thought, well, at least one person will control the development rights, which is a positive thing. So when you look at the way St. Louis was developed, you had 25 foot wide lots and you had thousands of them mm-hmm. and you had hundreds and hundreds of different owners. So you just couldn't build anything, right. you know? And so what he has been able to do is aggregate all these lots. So he owns 2000 pieces of land, which should be good, but now it needs to be in someone else's hand. So, and what do you think should happen with that area? I mean, hopefully the, the land stays together, like I said, with a single owner, but I think you have to, someone, it's not, there's potential even with a single owner of all of it, but what they need to do is take a step back and really open up development opportunities to other people instead of trying to direct everything through one entity. I mean, it's too big of a project and, you know, you can't, you can't bite off big pieces at a time. Well, just like what happened in Cortex, like you said, lots of different groups came together to kind Mm -hmm. of do something great and maybe that needs to happen here. Yeah, I, I just think there has to be, I don't know, you need to start experimenting. I mean, the, the reason, the way that better growth, I think, happens is when you do have competing ent- entities or just a, a wide range of ideas. Instead of having one developer who comes and says, oh, we're going to build a greenway here and we're going to build houses on these seven blocks and a corporate campus on these three blocks, it's too prescriptive. And so no one gets excited about it. No one else is invested in it. So he's the only person who, you know, is is trying. And so... And that's not a bad thing. I mean, I admire him for how, what he's tried to do, but my God, it's like, it's obviously not working. And since he's had control of this site, you, you'd be nuts to buy something. I mean, you could go in and buy someone's house in that site now, but you'd be crazy to do it because he has the development rights for the whole area. And, you know, everyone kind of sits back and waits for him to make it happen. Well, what does that mean exactly? He has the development rights. He can just come in and eminent domain and take your property or he doesn't Yeah, have potentially. To do that? Um, they're looking at doing that now for the, the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency. Uh-huh. They're looking at using eminent domain for, I don't know, their 35 or 45 you know, occupied homes in the area and things like that. So, but yeah, redevelopment rights just means that he has, you know, the city's given him first option to buy any vacant land, any city owned land, um, you know, to, to really plan the development of the area. So. So if another group comes in and they want to do something with that area, will they have to buy all of that from him? He would sell off parts of it. I mean, this is what he should be doing is probably selling off corners and things like that. But he's trying to take the three or four presumably more marketable intersections and get a high price for him. You know? So he has a lot of money invested now, but he's trying to – I think he's – yeah, I don't know. The market's not supporting what he's trying to do, obviously. So. Okay. Yeah, but that's an opportunity. The thing that's shocking is people don't – realize its proximity to the rest of the city i mean you're three miles from downtown maybe probably two miles and a lot mm-hmm. of what he has you know and he, he owns things actually right on the north side of downtown but um but it's a great location so there's clearly opportunity there but when you look across st louis i mean there's vacancy on the south side there's vacancy just north of the loop area you know which is obviously successful in a lot of ways so right. um so it's hard to be optimistic about his you know development I've spent a lot of time down in that area and I've always been surprised when, how close I really am to downtown, yeah. you know, cause I'm in an area where I'm a little bit scared or it's a little bit abandoned or whatever. And then you turn around and you know, there's the yeah. arch or there's the Met building or whatever. So yeah, it's, it's right there. It's strange. Oh, my friend wants me to ask you about, what do you think about the raised highways between the dome and the river? I'm sure you're familiar <laughs> with all that stuff. He- yeah. So for, for years, I worked on a group that's still still in existence, but not a lot of hard work happening with it called City to River. Oh, you were involved in that. Yeah. yeah so that. it was myself and I 
chaired it for a while and then still stayed on the committee. So there were about five of us that did presentations. And we had a moment where kind of coinciding with the arch uh, redesign of that right. area, we went to every business and every entity up and down I-70, uh, and everyone signed on in support of the idea of removing that stretch of interstate except for one hotel. And uh, and we thought we had this moment where it was like, oh, we've got all the support we want, right? We, have, we had some political support. We had all the owners of buildings along there, and they were dreaming of what they could do with the highway gone. And then politically, we just totally got, you know, I don't know, trumped, run over, whatever you want to say, uh, by the City Arch River effort. So, you know, the the city through the mayor's office and other people had decided, you know, this is our chance to redo the arch grounds. So they're kind of in charge of development and what happens. And they were certainly opposed to um, to our idea. So They were opposed to it or they just kind of want to do the yeah, city? Yeah, I, to- I think they were. Well, they were opposed to it. I think they, they felt it was a threat um, to their project getting done. So, I mean, they were doing a lot of heavy lifting trying to raise millions and millions of dollars. And I think the idea on their end was – you know, if this idea that these guys are bringing gains any traction, um, it's going to delay our plan. It's going to take away money from our plan. It's going to interrupt what are, what we're trying to get done. So, what is the problem with the way it is now? There's a problem with the the interstate really separating our riverfront from downtown. So, if you're a pedestrian, I mean, it's easy to look at a map and be like, oh, you just crossed the street. But the experience of walking along that stretch of interstate is pretty deadening. And you only have to look at what faces the interstate to understand the effect. So, you look at a hotel. It's back is towards the arch. It's back the back of the hotel, like the service entry and stuff is uh-huh. like facing the arch, facing the river. Um, it's a very unpleasant experience. You're walking on broken sidewalks and through gravel and stuff. Right. There are no restaurants or businesses facing the arch. Mm-hmm. You know, you would think from outside St. Louis, and I thought this before I moved here, is that I'm gonna I'm gonna grab a coffee and sit in a you know sidewalk cafe and look at the arch. Right. It should be shocking that you can't do that, and it's because you have this this elevated interstate, a trench, and then an elevated interstate again. Um, and the and then the plan unfortunately ended up being to remove some of these downtown streets, which I always thought were pleasant enough to walk on, even across Memorial Drive. Right. And they've basically disrupted the street grid and rerouted traffic a block west, which you if you're visiting the arch, you still have to cross it. You know, so it's um it's just poor planning, I think. But it was it was one of these things that I think happens too often here where it's a plan that's hatched and endorsed and, and maybe even partially funded before anyone catches wind of it. And then <laughs> what and then what do you do, you know? Okay, so, I mean, I guess the idea is that you'd be able to walk out of the dome and kind of walk across some streets there, and there'd be more businesses and more buildings yeah. and more people I think you look at um, Millennium Park in Chicago or Michigan Avenue in Chicago as an example. I mean, people always complain about the traffic here. Michigan Avenue handles fifty to 60,000 cars a day and uh-huh. tens of thousands of people walking and spending money. Kings Highway, between the Central West End and Forest Park, handles about 50,000 cars a day. Oh, wow, okay. People cross it to go running. It's not scary. I mean, it could be better. Right. But no one's just like, oh, God, I really want to go to the park today. But, you know, it's a scary street to cross. You right. Know? There's this huge and, wall. Yeah. And the whole yeah. premise of, of the city, the City Arch River project is that you're you're spending almost $400 million on the arch. And as a result, a million more visitors will visit downtown per year. I mean, that's the economic premise uh-huh. that this is going to pay off because a million more people visit and go to restaurants and stay in hotels. So on one hand, they're saying everyone's going to visit downtown. And to walk around downtown, you cross a street every 250 feet right right but then they're saying that people wouldn't visit the arch because there's just one more street to cross you know i mean i just can't imagine coming here and crossing 28 streets going to a baseball game and then being like oh the arch is over there yeah like, this whole street you know, to cross. yeah next time you know we'll come back later you know next time okay so i don't know i think it's just a yeah it's a missed opportunity well let's talk about the village bar yeah 
is that I, sort of, I don't know much about it other than it's under contract. So is that sort know. of another like small example of redevelopment that's happening? I mean, this is a bar that's been around forever. Yeah. A lot of my friends and I myself went used to go there a lot, you know. Yeah. And then now the I guess the owners who said we'll never sell, they've died, and their kids are just selling it out, yeah. selling it off. I think yeah. So some of it just happens that there's generational turnover and these things that you that people swore would never happen. There's nothing, mm-hmm. you know, things things change. So. Um, I think it marks, uh, you know, it's kind of sad for a lot of people, but I think it's somewhat inevitable. So um, I think you look at, uh, I mean, there are other examples around town, you know, bars that were institutions for a long time, but but they happen because someone's passionate about it and, you right. know, and eventually they get sold. And you look at development patterns around the village bar, obviously it's not, it kind of doesn't fit anymore, right? The road's been widened once, if not twice. Um, there's big retail development around there. So at some point it's valuable enough as with a different use that somebody buys it and whatever it doesn't exactly fit you know it doesn't but yeah. that's what's cool about it instead of going to applebee's or elephant yeah. bar you go to the village the villaggio you no, know but these are i mean this is what's frustrating is that ultimately there's an economic argument to be made about all these developments whether it's gravelly or whether it's crestwood mall or something uh-huh. but then there's also a political side of it and what people don't realize is that whether it's the department of transportation or the streets department or you know, I don't know what I don't know what municipality the village bar is in. Do you know, De Pere is in De Pere, uh-huh. of course. So, but you know, De Pere does the the zoning and land use and all that's a political decision. There's right. nothing that says this has to be for this use or has to be zoned for this use or you have to get an exception for this. Those are political decisions. Uh-huh. And so, you know, if people were involved and there were people who cared about having small businesses along there and sidewalks in front of them or something like that, you know, elect people who also think that. You know, but otherwise, you know, these things happen. And and again, people step back and think it's inevitable or just, well, it's sad, but that's just what happens. Well, you know, it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way. I think most people are sad, particularly about the village bar, just because they have so many good memories there, you know? Yep. And not because we don't want the Chipotle or whatever is probably going to go in there because I'm sure I'll go eat at that Chipotle. You know? Right, but if you ask people, like, you know, do you want to sacrifice the Village Bar for a Chipotle? No, they can no, put a Chipotle right? anywhere else. And that's what you don't realize when you when some of these discussions that we try to have on the website just are, are kind of boring because they're land use and they're zoning and they're taxation issues, but um, those are the things that matter if you want places like the Village Bar to, to stay. And then sometimes things happen because, you know, people die and ownership changes and there's nothing, you know, you can do. So. Right. You know, I've asked you about a few different projects, and I basically hit the highlights from your website, right? What are some of the other biggest projects or changes or trends going on yeah. that you want the public to be aware of? I think real awareness about what St. Louis could be. I think uh, I think what's unfortunate on the site is we, we engage in quite a few critiques of buildings that are built or redevelopment plans, and it's um, it's easy to find things wrong or find things that we don't like. So we do spend quite a bit of time on that, but but in our mind, in my mind, it's always couched in what's possible and what what That's opportunities why it's next we have. STL, in front of us. Right? That's right. And so I want people to be aware of other options and and understand that you know there are great ideas in Indianapolis, there are great ideas in Columbus, Ohio, there are great ideas in Boston, there are great ideas in Paris that we can use. Right. You know, and so just bringing this awareness to what could be and that the way the city is now is not the city, whether that's you know Clayton or Crestwood or St. Charles these are all choices that individuals made and they're small choices that dictate our daily experience. So there's a shop and save across the street here, which, you know, that didn't have to be there. It was a right. Kmart, right? I think before uh-huh. that. Um, but the other side of the street where we're located is this row of vibrant shops that I guarantee create a lot more tax revenue for Maplewood than the shop and save does. Right. Roads through the city of St. Louis have been widened multiple times. Uh, you know, 
places are being torn down probably this week that don't need to be torn down. Um, none of these things are inevitable. So people need to be aware, I think, of, of how great St. Louis could be, how we need to, um, I don't know, maybe control the narrative of the city a little bit more. I, I've been using the example of Memphis, Tennessee. I was there almost two years ago now and, uh, and you know, love everybody in Memphis if you're listening. Um, but we came away feeling like this is a dirty, like it looked like there was a parade downtown the day before or something. Uh-huh. It was just dirty everywhere. It was totally empty. Um, we walked around downtown, didn't see another soul until we like, you know, you step into the Peabody hotel and there's a thousand people staring at ducks, right? Right. Great. You leave the hotel, no one's around, right? Uh-huh. You drive past used car dealerships and strip malls to get to Graceland. Tons of people there. You go to, you know, and then you leave and, and you just go through kind of depressing areas and you get to Sun Records. Well, that's awesome that Sun is there surrounded by kind of junk, right? Uh-huh. St. Louis has everything, right? We have, the, you know, go to the Blue City Deli, go to Soulard, go to Lafayette Square, come to Maplewood. Um, it's an amazing place and somehow we, we, don't, we don't tell that story. Um, and we need, to, we need to start connecting these places. So, I don't know, people need to be aware of, of just what we, what we have and then the potential that we have here. Well, damn! I wish I would have ended on that, but I We're have. Not a, done? We got more. I just have a few more questions for you. Yeah. Six more questions for you, actually. <laughs> Do you mind? Sure. Okay, so quickly, if you were a real estate investor, I don't know if you invest yeah. in real estate or not, but if you were, what would you? And you're looking for kind of the buy and hold strategy, the long term plan. Mm-hmm. Do you have a certain area you would invest in? Uh, well, I have to admit, I'm not an investor. Um, I mean, in terms of St. Louis, I mean, suburban yeah, growth is not over here by any uh-huh. means. So you look at places that do have good school districts like, um, I mean, Kirkwood is its own town. It's it's a suburb kind of, but it, right. you know, it's a real town. Um, you know, go west of there to Baldwin and some of these places. I think they're great places to invest. I mean, it's hard to see 50 years from now. I don't know, 10, 20 years. They're going to be great places to live. What about in the city? Um, in the city, you have to look at the central corridor. I think. I think there are some troubled spots, unfortunately, south of this, uh, uh, the south side of the city. Uh-huh. When you get down to, um, you know, Dutchtown, uh, Marine Villa, and that the far south, where jobs have disappeared. Basically, right. there aren't manufacturing jobs across South City like there used to be. So the growth you're seeing is in healthcare and education, and that's I mean, we have great anchor institutions at you know with the universities in town and the hospital complex. So anywhere along the central corridor, I think is a, is a great place. Uh, so they're yeah they're they're good places to invest. I'm shocked that basically your first answer was Kirkwood and Baldwin. <laughs> no, I know it's like, but you have to be you know you got to be honest. Those are I mean those have got to be the most stable, predictable markets. I'm not sure there's a buck to be made there. You know you're not gonna these aren't places that are regenerating, right? So there are right. places in the city where you can still buy empty homes for forty thousand, and you may be able to renovate it and sell them for three hundred. You know, so there's more opportunity in the city, but you have to be you know honest about the type of region we're in. Lastly, I asked my same five questions to everybody, Alex. You ready? These are more fire. These are a little more personal type of questions, you know. Sure. Who lives under your roof? Um, Well, there were some mice living under my roof recently. (laughs) I think a count. Well, I won't tell you how many I've gotten rid of. Um, Yeah, it's embarrassing. So, other than invading animals, we have myself and my wife Katie, and our son Oscar, daughter Lucy, and another daughter Harriet. 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 So it's six years old, four years old, and eight months old. Okay, congratulations. No pets other than the mice? No pets other than the mice. See, that's part of the problem. you got to have a cat or something. I I can't support getting a cat, actually. No. Okay, so where are you your best? God, I don't know. Let's hope it's when I'm with my kids and just enjoying, you know, enjoying St. Louis, I think. Okay. Because I get annoyed. I'm I'm not – 
it's hard to be happy when dealing with, you know, the challenges that we face because there are real challenges and they're tough. And so I'm not at my best when I'm doing that. I mean, maybe I am, but it's not as enjoyable. So. Yeah, you're super good at what you're doing. Yeah, but I don't. I should not, not, not allow easy. people to answer about when I'm with their kids because everyone. So okay. Other than your own, what is your favorite blog or podcast? That's tough because you read a lot of them. It sounds. I like. know. No, there's a bunch. You know, I love. Here's here's one that I that I really like just because it's fun to read. There's one called. Um, it's a blog done by Nikki Dwyer, who's just a, a resident of the Central West End, and it's called. You know, and she does kind of these little, you know, snippets of life in the Central West End. So some of it's like holiday decorating windows, and some of it's development, but some of it's um, flowers in the spring and stuff. So I love seeing kind of that that slice of life kind of thing. And there are a number of blogs around St. Louis that does that. Cool. What is your guilty pleasure? Uh, good beer, I guess. Okay. So you name it. We're down the road from Schlafly, Urban Chestnut, Four Hands, Perennial. Uh, St. Louis is in the middle of a beer renaissance. And it really I'm is. I'm taking advantage of it. So. Do you have a favorite beer, a favorite local beer? Uh, probably, yeah. I mean, the standard is the, the Urban Chestnut Wing Nut. That's the beer for you? More than anything else, but yeah. But the, every, everything from Four Hands recently has been amazing, so... That I had their like peanut butter chocolate milk stout or something. Yeah, I've not had that. It was really yeah, good. I'm sure it's great. Okay, who is your mentor and how have you thanked them? That's and we'll end on that. Oh man, I need is anyone if anyone out there is looking to mentor a young man <laughs> such as myself. Someone had to um, mentor you. You, got, you mean you're on the right path. You're doing great things. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I mean, I've had just some great great friends uh, i was on a cycling team in college and just with three other guys who were just outstanding kind of professionally and with their families and stuff and uh and they've been great so you know i kind of look to them maybe as as role models and okay. and then i searched far and wide I and mean, there's some great developers in town that i talk to all the time who like real estate developers ideas. yeah um uh, and a lot of them you know so i kind of uh-huh. don't want to point out sure one, no that's yeah, fine yeah so you don't necessarily have one person you would call your mentor no, probably not. Like yeah. me and old Billy used to meet every Tuesday for a ham yeah, sandwich. Like, now you see, now I feel like I should. Like I said, if anyone's that's know, okay, adopt a blogger. You know? <laughs> Let's talk. Well, I appreciate you coming on. I'm sure everyone's going to be happy to hear it. And thanks to Joey, our producer, Joey Vasovich. And uh, we'll tune in next time for the next great guest and next St. Louis real estate update. Thanks. Take care. Yeah. Thanks.